You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Welcome to the show. Welcome to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. This is going to be a fantastic episode. I think you can already tell by my enthusiasm of what's been happening over the last few weeks on this show. I've been bringing in some really amazing guests. I've been talking about limiting beliefs, setting impossible goals, taking massive action over passive action. And whenever I start looking for people who resonate the kind of things that I'm talking about on the show, it's not too hard for me to locate a plethora of them on Instagram. But when I find those ones who really seem to have taken their recovery to a whole new level, those are the ones I have to bring to you guys. And today we have Jim Hernandez from Valor Fitness Clothing. He's located here in Los Angeles. He's just been a great conversationalist so far, just in our pre-interview before we got on the microphone. And without any further ado, I want to introduce Jim Hernandez, Valor Fitness Clothing. Welcome to the show, Jim. <laughs> hey, Jesse, man. Thank you so much for having me, man. It's definitely an honor to be here. I appreciate it. And to all the listeners listening, hello to you as well. And uh, thank you for listening. You know, I, I get so excited whenever I go to start these interviews up because... I love being able to connect with people who listen to the show, for people who are doing amazing things in the addiction recovery field. And when I came across your account, which I've been watching for, for many, many months, I just thought, wow, this is pretty cool. This guy started an entire fitness line around the addiction recovery community. Um, so people can, you know, really, and, it, and it's a physical, it's like a physical activity kind of clothing line. So I'm always promoting physical fitness. What got you into this? From the get-go, man. Well, before before addiction just absolutely destroyed my life. I've always been <clears throat> in shape, and I've always had you know been emphasized a a, a, um, a firm belief with physical fitness. Just is my personal, uh, not only a hobby, but um, something I love to do. So, uh, in recovery, I definitely or in addiction, I definitely lost um, that love and that passion as we lose lots of things uh, to addiction. And when I started getting sober and um, getting my mind right, I definitely knew that I needed uh, to incorporate fitness once again because fitness. I think first of all, I apologize if I'm speaking so fast. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I think fitness, uh, physical fitness, gives addicts a lot back in regards to you know your self esteem, your self worth. You start you know feeling better when you start working out. You look better, and you you notice that thing, and you definitely get your dignity back, which I think is a huge thing for an addict to get back is their is their dignity, their self worth, their self respect. So physical fitness is always a great tool in general, and I think especially from uh, for addicts uh, in recovery. Yeah, I, I love that mindset. I'm currently building my life's blueprint. It's a it's a life coaching program that I'm going to be really bringing to the addiction recovery community first because I think that it can really help everybody organize their addiction recovery. And one of uh, the components is physical fitness. And I talk about it a lot because it's like you lift weights, you you work out, whatever kind of exercise regimen you have, and it's not an immediate payoff. You don't do ten bicep curls and then all of a sudden your muscles look amazing. You do it consistently over months and over years and all of a sudden you see this amazing growth and you're like, wow, that's awesome. I got disciplined. I stuck with something and now look where my life is at. And I think it's it draws a direct line to addiction recovery. You don't just get sober on day one and everything becomes butterflies and, and unicorns shooting rainbows out of their asses. It, be, it It is something where every day you work towards it. And then you turn around a year later and you're like, wow, my life is amazing compared to where it was 366 days ago. 
I agree with that hundred percent, man. Definitely. You know, you get it. It is what everything else is. You, you get it out of it, what you put into it and it's easier said than done. And, uh, yeah, yeah, man, it's, 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 it's hard work, but trust me, the, the, the reward, whether it's physical or mental is, is, is tenfold. Back when you were in your addiction days, were you always focused on your physical fitness and maybe just weren't able to accomplish what you knew you could because the addiction was always in the way? Oh, most definitely. Um, I think it definitely hindered me. You know, my, my addiction started at a young age. Um, I don't think it went full blown until my early twenties when I stopped playing college sports and then, um, college sports kind of kept me from drinking too much. But man, once I stopped that, it was just, it was just balls to the walls. I did stay in shape though. I always worked out. And the main reason I always worked out is because we have as addicts, we have something deep down inside of us that is really causing this massive insecurity. So for me, trying to offset that insecurity was to try to make my body look a certain way. And uh, that was like an obsession. You know, we have a very compulsive obsession, obsessive personalities. And I'm definitely no exception to that. So fitness was always important to me in my addiction. Man, right before uh, I became homeless in Venice and my life really spiraled, I would go to Gold's Gym in Venice Beach for two hours a day. And as soon as I got done working out, I would just go to the uh, back to my car, I'd throw my gym bag in there, and I'd grab my – I'd have a massive – one of the big, big Gatorade bottles. It was half full of vodka. I'd grab that thing, man. I'd walk down Rose Boulevard to the Venice Beach Boardwalk, and I'd walk down to the basketball courts and just chug that thing, and I would just get blacked out. And this is literally right after a two-hour workout. So fitness is definitely always a big thing to me, but mainly just because uh, to offset some huge, huge insecurities inside. Again, bringing up such a great topic, the insecurities inside that, that drive us in our addiction and that just drive us in general. It becomes this undercurrent. And for me, I never uh, played high school sports. I didn't play college sports. So for me, my insecurity where I thought I could be better, if that's a, the right term for it, be better than other people was mental. So I was always the one reading a ton of books and, and doing my best to be the smartest person in the room because that's how I could somehow fulfill that insecurity that made me think I was less than every single other person. So when my listeners, all you guys out there checking this out, I guarantee you it's either physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, somewhere in your life, you were you really latched on to something because you were so insecure about who you were and that's what you became obsessed about. So it's I love when I hear how physical fitness was yours and how when now that you're sober, you're still using that as a driver in your life. I think uh, we all know what a, a positive outlook, you know, physical fitness can can have just anybody in general, not even an addict to recovery. But uh, it's definitely always been a part of my life and it's a huge part now. And uh, yeah, and man, you're talking about insecurities, man. I think that's the root of most addicts. I believe really, really, really 95 and I'm not original in saying this, but 95, 99 percent of all addicts, you know, we had something uh, happened to us at a very young age. And, and, uh, whether it's, uh, mental abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, that's the reality of it. And that is usually one of the really big insecurities. And I think kind of getting into the next topic, one of my biggest powers, um, and one of my tools I use the most that got me sober was therapy. In our pre-interview, and now for all my listeners out there to understand that uh, Jim doesn't have the best audio setup going, so there's a little bit of background volume. So please don't let that deter you from listening to the rest of the show. I, I, I want Jim on so badly that we just, we just literally spent like the last 30 minutes finagling a system in his apartment so that we could do this with social distancing. Because if it wasn't for social distancing, we live like five miles away from each other. I would have just met up with you and we would have talked about this. So 
So that was just me pre-framing the, the sound in the background, guys. Don't worry about it too much. Back to the mental therapy. Um, I love my therapist. Uh, Melissa over at Kaiser Permanente has just literally changed my life. And um, I've yet to have a guest come on the show and talk to to me about how therapy has changed their life. So I really want you to dive into that for the people who don't maybe have a therapist who thought, well, could a therapist really help me or is my sponsor or is my program enough? Oh man, therapy definitely was the game changer for me in recovery. I've always known I needed it, but you know, a lot of things that, uh, I didn't actually know a lot of things were available to me that are available to me. You know, I didn't have the money for an early recovery or an early addiction. Uh, all my money went to alcohol, but we have so many resources available to us. And when I finally in my rehab found out that I had therapy available to me, I jumped on that opportunity. Um, when I finally decided to get sober, man, I was all in. I just, I drank the water. I was like, going to do whatever they said. And they told me to join a, to start doing therapy. And uh, I went to, uh, man, I've never cried more more of a genuine, deep, deep cry than I have with uh, with therapists. And it's a very therapeutic, obviously, uh, cry and rewarding. And therapy, man, you just dig, dig. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with your therapist. That's the, I think therapy only really truly works if you're really 1,000% honest with yourself. Because as addicts, we're good at faking the funk and we're good at manipulating and we're good at lying. But if you want recovery and you want growth, you have to be freaking honest. And, uh, I was a hundred percent honest with my therapist, you know, um, and therapy changed my life. And I'm definitely a huge advocate for it, for people in recovery, even for people not in recovery. I think if you are just blessed to not have this disease of addiction, you know, therapy promotes growth and it promotes getting to know yourself and bettering yourself in so many different aspects. So therapy is just a huge tool in general. And man, I can, I can tell you right now, I don't think I would ever have stayed sober if it wasn't for, um, just fully surrendering to, to therapy and my therapist. Therapy is so important. I was on a uh, talk show called Talk Show Land Monday night, and uh, you can find that on Facebook somewhere if you search for me. And uh, I brought up how I went to Kaiser Permanente. I used my health insurance, and that's what got me in their addiction recovery program. That's what got me a therapist. And uh, the producer of the show wanted me to go deeper into that. Uh, we just didn't have time. And so I'm bringing this up because I want you all out there to know that if you have health insurance, uh, if there's a big hospital near you, if there's just a normal hospital near you and you have insurance to go there, if you can figure out a way to get insurance. One thing I never realized, because I always thought, you know, I never had insurance. I haven't had insurance for the last 20 years of my life. And I just thought that that wasn't available to me because um, I didn't have, I couldn't walk into a Kaiser or um, one of the big hospitals, UCLA Medical Center, because I didn't have insurance. But there are so many areas out there that you can really look and go get government funded tools and you can get therapy with no insurance. I think that stigma of you have to have insurance to get therapy. It's not real. There's so many areas for you to go on tools and, and programs out there that are available to those that don't have the money or the income. You know, if you're homeless on the street, there's so many programs that are available to you. Homeless Healthcare of LA was where I fought or I saw um, and got started, but I just wanted to step in really quick and let some of your listeners that, you know, once you start throwing out the word insurance for me back in the day, I tuned out because I, I haven't had insurance in 10, 15 years. So there are so many areas or, or programs available to those that don't have insurance. So don't think you can't get therapy just because you don't have insurance. 
See, and this is why I love bringing people on the show because I didn't know about homeless healthcare of LA. And I did know about the lesbian, gay, bisexual, the LGBTQ center. When I first moved to LA, um, my cousin was going there for some things. And so she's like, hey, they've got therapists there. And they ended up giving me three free therapy for six months uh, because I was broke and I didn't have to be any part of the LGBTQ scene. They just wanted to help me with my mental health. So Jim, that is so awesome that you just brought that up because yeah, I only know what I know guys. So I know that I was able to get Obamacare and that's what led me to HealthNet. And then that's what led me to Kaiser. But for those of you out there who don't have insurance, don't tune this out, go jump on Google, type in the name of your city, type in, type in mental health care, type in free mental health care with Nashville or Tulsa or Oklahoma city or Louisville, Kentucky, where New Jersey, wherever you live. Um, and you're right. You're so right. There are resources out there. You just have to find them. No one's going to knock on your door and say, Hey, by the way, you have an appointment at 3 PM tomorrow. You got to go put the legwork in. Definitely not. Go on IG and type in J H E R 76 and send me a DM. And I will definitely be an advocate to try to get you what you need because this world is amazing. It's just too incredible to live in addiction and as a, you know, as a victim of that. So great things are out there for you. I will definitely be accessible to anybody that, that needs uh, my advice or my, my help getting you to what you need. What was that? What was your Instagram handle again? J H E R 76. And also, you guys can find them at uh, Valor Fitness Clothing. That's how I located them. So if you don't remember JHer76, it's there. That's super awesome. And I really love that you throw that out there. And I'm really, I'm glad that you got me to switch where I was going with that. Because yet for me, health insurance worked. I'm in LA. Kaiser is a mile away. For someone who's in Des Moines, Iowa, they may not have the resources that we have here in a gigantic city. So you just have to start to look around because I, I, I absolutely agree. My, my therapist has shown me so many, she has perspective shift me in ways I didn't even know I needed to be perspective shifted in. It's really true, man. There are just so many programs out there available to you. I never knew when I was when I was in deep deep addiction, but I still had a little bit of money. I could still scrape it together money to pay rent, and I still had a job. Um, you know, I went from being a functioning alcoholic to being non functioning alcoholic before I was homeless. You know, I had no idea there were programs or, or things out there available to you for help. You can literally have no money, and you can get into a, a rehab facility. The rehab facility I got into it was government funded. I didn't pay a penny. You know, thank God, like. Miracles happen, but there are so many assets, so many things out there, programs out there available to people that don't have a penny. It's just about knowing about them. I had no idea until my probation officer literally was like, Jim, you need to go to homeless health care of LA. I got there. They got me into a place called Phoenix House in Venice Beach. It's a transitional rehab facility. Um, it's, it's 53 men in there. Most are straight out of uh, long, long prison terms. Most of uh, the rest of them are like I was straight off the streets of being homeless. And it's about getting you back into hopefully becoming a functioning member of society. But there are so many tools out there for you and programs that are free of charge to those, those of us that don't have the resources. So it's really important to know that knowledge is definitely power. And I didn't know for so many years. Man, you just keep dropping. Just, you're just like dropping the microphone on me. How many cool things that you were talking about. Now I'm like, okay, I want to know where that, that place in Venice is. I want to go speak there. I want to go see how I can help them uh, realize their best self. And, and I think as you went through this entire process that led you to now, Talk to me about what it was like to start breaking through these mental barriers, emotional barriers that you had been living with since you were a child and trauma had come at you. Um, what that was like for you? What was that process like for you to start breaking down those walls? It was it was scary. 
It was grounding. Um, it was very humbling. Like I said, for me, it was, I hit rock bottom. You know, I, I, I really hope people don't have to hit rock bottom. I love it when people, um, don't. And I think we all have a different rock bottom. I think that's very important that we know, you know, your rock bottom doesn't have to be, you were homeless living in the streets and the alleys of Venice and living in carports like I was and, and sleeping on the beach. You don't have to, that doesn't have to be your rock bottom. Um, your rock bottom could be one bad night on your 23rd birthday. And I, God, I hope that is, but, uh, it's a very humbling thing. Uh, it's very scary. Uh, it's intimidating for sure, man. It's intimidating, but, um, it's so rewarding, but I'm telling you, it is, it's scary. It's, it's intimidating and it's, it's very humbling, but I'm glad I did it. I'm glad you did it. (laughs) You know what you brought up about rock bottom. There was a video that Kaiser shows where this, you know, and it's an old video from like the eighties. And the woman talks about how, when she was a kid, there was a homeless person who lived in her neighborhood and she was in a city and how, when she pictured addiction and what rock bottom must look like at a young age, she attached it to this crazy, let's just call him crazy Jim. And she said, well, that's what rock bottom looks like. So as long as I don't ever look like crazy Jim, I'm good to go. Right. And so when she got older and addiction showed up um, and she would look at her life and say, well, am I rock bottom yet? She's like, well, I'm not crazy Jim. I'm not sleeping on the street and screaming at the clouds. So obviously I haven't hit rock bottom. What she came to realize is that everyone's rock bottom is different guys. So whatever don't think, well, I'm not sleeping in my in my car. I'm not drinking vodka at a basketball court in the middle of the day after a two-hour workout. So I haven't hit my rock bottom. I need to be on the street selling my body for sex and drugs and rock and roll. That's Your rock bottom can be whatever you think that it is. Once you wake up and say, F this, I have had enough, that's your rock bottom. And see it as such. And don't think that it has to become so extreme that you've lost your job, you've lost your family, you've lost your house. And now you can do something about it. You can choose to do something about it at any stage where you just realize you are tired of it. So true, man. And I love the crazy gym analogy. <laughs> you know, the reality of it is also, um, I think with, with, uh, what we have available to us as far as like social media and there's just, uh, so much news and whatnot. Um, it's easier to be more aware. I love how, uh, how, cool it is to be sober now it's much more of a popular thing people refer to it as a movement i hate man it's a lifestyle man it's a lifestyle of just being better it's a lifestyle of of taking your control of your life back and and uh real quick about the crazy gym thing with me and i think it happens with lots of us that are addicts and uh you know as a young age you know a lot of times it's our it's our um one of our parental figures for me, it was my dad. And I said, I never want to be like that guy. I never want to be like him. I never, I was so angry towards him. I had so much resentment as a child for the things he did to me. He put me through. And I said, I never want to be like him, but I became exactly that monster, not monster, meaning that monster, but I became exactly, you know, that addict and that alcoholic. And I had so many of those same patterns because if you don't live in your conscious mind and you're not humble, your conscious mind and your subconscious mind, your subconscious mind is so powerful and you create habits. They say 2190 rule on habits. How about the 24 years of your life rule? <laughs> Talk about creating a habit, man. Your 13 years of your childhood that you something you see every day. That is a habit that you don't even know about. So I became exactly the person I hated my whole childhood. And you don't have to become that crazy gym, but a lot of times like you look at that person and you're like, Oh, I'm not like that person. I'm not like that person. But before you know it, if you're not aware and if you're not conscious of things, you are that person and it's too late, <laughs> you know? And now, <laughs> and 
now you're on a podcast with Jesse Mogul, but luckily, luckily it's a, a comeback story, but um, yeah, that's funny. You know, uh, it's, I just, I can't, this is why I love having people on the show because when I first got sober people would say, well, what was your rock bottom? I actually felt like, I mean, obviously 22 years of addiction, which rock bottom would you like me to talk about? But the one that I finally looked at the, looked myself in the mirror and was like, that's it. I'm done. was just me waking up in my bathtub covered in my own blood, piss and shit and being blacked out for like five days and wondering how long I'd been sleeping in the bathtub and why I was covered in all my filth and, and, why was I drinking this box of wine next to me when I knew I should not be doing that? And it's, I honestly thought my, the, the moment I got up and dragged myself back in my room, passed out on my floor for another 12 hours, woke up and then called Kaiser. I thought, well, that's not really that great of a rock bottom story. And I actually was like, man, I, I wish it was worse. But then I'm like, wait, 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 wait. That's a horrible thing to ask of myself. Jesse, why wasn't it worse? Why weren't you on the streets? <laughs> why weren't you homeless and naked? Like, why did you do it? Why was it only this bathtub incident? But it wasn't really that bathtub incident. It was the other 1,117 blackouts that I came out of and wondered what the hell did I just do to myself man it's <laughs> we could tell crazy stories all day long but it's true and you want to talk about mental health but uh I think you know real quick side note about <laughs> you talk about bathtub I think the first time I really really got drunk I was I think it's sophomore in high school and I got so blacked out drunk I woke up in the morning in a bathtub full of ice with puke all over myself my the whites of my eyes were bloodshot I didn't even like alcohol man when first my, until probably I was 21, 22, I didn't even like the taste of it. I don't like the taste of beer. I don't like the taste of vodka. I think the first thing I would drink when at a young age was peppermint schnapps and orange juice. But that's how much of a fucking addict I am is that I hated the taste of this thing, but I still did it because I had to numb something inside me, something that was deep down in there. And that's the crazy power of addiction and disease. This disease is that I hated the taste of this thing, but I still flooded my body with it for umpteen years. But, uh, Man, the first time I got drunk was the worst experience I've ever had in my life. I was in a bathtub. You brought out bathtubs. I was in a bathtub. Blood alcohol poisoning. Oh, man. And guess what? That was, I think I was probably 14, 15 years old. And uh, I didn't get sober till 40. <laughs> so 25 years of, of me doing something that, you know, my first experience was a nightmare. And I didn't even enjoy it. That's how, that's how strong this is and crazy this disease is. It is because I, I'm the same way. For years, every time I drank, I was you know I was I was chasing the vodka with with pink lemonade. Snapple pink lemonade was my first chaser in college, and my first experience was with peppermint shop snops, and uh, and then I peach and peppermint mixed together, and then I ate chocolate candy bars, and I also woke up covered in my own vomit, and I think I was 16, 17 years old when that happened. Um, it's just funny that we we know it tastes like crap, just like when we get into cigarette smoking, it's it tastes like crap, but if you you just keep doing it eventually your brain's like okay i guess this is uh, this is delicious it's not but you're making me believe that it is and so now here we are um what you know this is i, I, don't, I don't think i've ever asked this on the show but what are your thoughts on this non-alcoholic beers that seem to be getting so popular oh man uh first of all just quick disclaimer to each their own if uh if that's what you need and what will help you get sober go for it man like totally go for it i will never do it I was never a beer person in general. Towards the end of my addiction, I, I did. I mean, obviously, if it was there, I would drink all of everything that was available to me. But I'm not a fan of them. Uh, I think it, it is a bridge, personally, to getting back into drinking. If you put something that it still has a small percentage, I know it's not considered it, but it has that effect. 
I'm as much addicted to the lifestyle as I am the actual alcohol and drug. I'm addicted to that fast paced lifestyle, man. I really have to pump the brakes on that. But if I think I, if I started drinking non-alcoholic beers, I think I would, you know, whether it's consciously or subconsciously in my mind, I think it would, it would start me thinking, Oh, see, you can do this and you're fine. Maybe you can just do this. Maybe you can. For me, it's just, it's all or nothing. That's how I am. And so I don't even want personally, I don't even want to touch that. If you can do it and you're successful, man, all the more power to you. I personally don't recommend it. I love your disclaimer, Jim, because right, I've said this many times. I'll say it again. Everybody's program is their own. You do whatever works for you. Uh, The reason why this got sparked from what you were saying about not liking the taste of alcohol um, is that these non-alcoholic beers seem to be proliferating on Instagram. And you see these accounts that are using all of our hashtags for sobriety. And it's clearly that they're they're being run or these people are getting paid somehow because the way they talk, it sounds like marketing copy. And I'm just like, most of us probably didn't even like the taste of beer. Why would we want to do that? I, I agree. I think it becomes a bridge back into the addiction because you have that taste on your taste buds. And then at some point, your brain's going to be like, well, why am I drinking all of this when I could be drinking that and feeling great? So I, I agree. It's not for me. Everybody's program is their own. I would just be got weary guys out there of these Instagram accounts that are showing people enjoying these non-alcoholic beers because they're clearly being run by people who sell these items. And I, and I just don't think that uh, you should be, don't fall prey to their marketing strategy. On a little side note to that, Justin, on a little side note, I think it's almost, if you twist it, it's almost a victory for us in, in recovery because I think it's showing that, you know, this is a lifestyle and more more people are gravitating towards this and this is cool and this is healthy. I think the world's going really towards a more consciously healthy lifestyle and these companies are losing out on lots of money. So they are twisting their thing to try to offset the loss of sales towards beer. They're trying to recuperate those sales, those loss of sales somehow, and they're realizing that this is the trend. So maybe you can find that as a compliment to the fact that, you know, being sober is cool. These these companies are are realizing that and, and trying to make a product for us. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe 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 you can look at it like that way. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I love the perspective shifting here, right? Because everybody's gonna need to make their own decision. I do love the fact that sobriety and recovery, um, God, for the back of a better term, seems to be trending right now because. It just, it amazes me if if I if you go up to somebody and say hey man I, I just I just quit heroin I just quit smoking cigarettes I just quit cutting myself everyone's gonna pat you on the back and be so proud of you and they're gonna want to raise you up and say wow you overcame something so amazing and look at your life now you go around and you tell people that you quit drinking and inevitably one of the questions that comes out of their mouths within a few couple minutes is well why you know it's it's, it's like you, they don't immediately think wow that's great or they might even say that but in the back of their head they're immediately questioning their drinking behavior and because should i be should i not be drinking right it, it becomes this thing where it's like you do whatever you do but I, I it just amazes me that some people want me to explain why i don't drink anymore as if it, it's just one reason there was 22 years worth of reasons I've got a lot of data to prove that alcohol and drugs are not good for me. Man, it's not. And I'm telling you, there's just too much to live. I, my life is in recovery is mind-blowingly amazing. There's this, this world is just too beautiful. I live, we live in Los Angeles, Jesse. We live in a town where people from all over the world 
die to be at. They, I, we go to Venice or Santa Monica on the weekends, man, and we see these families from whether it's Italy or Australia or wherever it is. They spend tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars of vacation at the place that me and you call our backyard that we're at every day. There is just way too much to experience. And I'm telling you, man, I just got so tired of only that experience was inside of a bar or a restaurant or, you know, hung over in my bed. Like, I spent so much freaking time, as I'm sure you did, in a bar with that cup and bottle in my hand and just letting all this beauty and this amazingness just totally just go unexplored by myself. And, man, I'm on fire to 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 just explore and learn and and experience, man. Just experiencing life now is just so exciting. I'm sure I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, man. It's like we're, we're, we're drinking the same Kool-Aid. There is an experience level and, you know, and, and I, I get people from all around the world who contact me via social media channels and they'll be in some super crazy small town, but they'll tell me that, man, I got sober. I got in recovery. And all of a sudden I realized there was things in my town that I didn't even know existed. There was beauty to be had that I had been walking by for years because I was just so focused on getting myself to the bar. And it's just like, yeah, there is amazingness all around us, whether you live in, you know, Albuquerque, New Mexico or, or Tanzania, you're just, you, you got to take that fog away and you see the world through a whole new lens. You know, we're going to get you out of here soon. So let's jump into something that you talked about before we got uh, hit record. You said, be ready for what you're asking for. And you had some really great perspectives on that. And, you know, for those of you guys who may not be in sobriety and recovery yet, or just got into it, where, wherever you're at, right? You got 50 years or five minutes, you know, are you ready for what you're asking for? And Jim, j- dive into this because I love your perspective. Well, first of all, you're approaching 1200 days, right? Yeah, I'm only four days away. Way to way to be paying attention to the show, man. I appreciate that. Man, I'm a huge fan of your show. It's funny. I listen to your show and I'm like, right now I'm thinking about so many things you've talked about. And I'm like, I want to talk about that with you also, like topics you've gone about. But you've already been there. So your listeners have already heard that. So I'm not going to get into that. But congratulations on your 1,200 days, man. That's awesome. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. But yeah, as far as, uh, you know, um, you know, I, I speak probably not as often as you do, but I speak in front of large groups uh, quite often, and I love it, man. I love just sharing my story, experience, strength, and hope. And when I say that, when I say, you know, be careful what you ask for, are you, are you, are you actually ready for what you're asking for? That's a really, really, really powerful sentence right there and a really powerful thought because a lot of times we say we want this perfect job. I want sobriety. You know, I want this. I want that perfect girl you know, perfect guy. Like if I got my dream girl right now, is am I in the position that I could sustain it? Like mentally, uh, is my life together? Do I have it together to be able to, you know, do I have the work ethic? If I say I want this job and boom, do I actually have the work ethic to go put into it? Do I have, it's cute to say you want it and you want that paycheck, but are you really, really ready to put in the work that it's going to take to get it and sustain it? And that's a, a powerful thought. Lots of people say they want sobriety and they, they say it. Lots of people are, are chameleons. Lots of people are pretenders. You know, sobriety is not something that's easy. I think you can attest to that. It is not easy. It is worth it a thousandfold, but it's not easy. So when you say you want something, man, you really have to, uh, if, if you're an adult about it and you have an adult mindset, you need to realize what you're actually asking for. And if you got that, are you ready to receive it? And are you ready to hold on to it? You know, you might receive it, but are you ready to keep it? And that's what's important, man. Are you really ready to receive that and keep it and and do what is necessary to hold on to that? 
whatever it is you're asking for. So, you know, that's what I say. Be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. You know, I, I hope to God that we do get what we ask for. But I also hope to God that we are mentally aware of what it's going to take to keep it once we do get it. And I think that's a really, really, really powerful statement. My brain's already wanting to do an entire episode just on that statement right there. Just are you ready for what you're asking for? When you got sober, like when you made that decision, you started, you know, you, you checked into that treatment center, you started going to your therapist. And were you ready for what you were asking for? Um, and, and talk to me about what that was like for you to start to to take those steps. Man, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, I knew that my body had shut down. I'm the kind of alcoholic that I put my body into seizures. I, um, you know, the severe withdrawals where literally it felt like my, I was deteriorated on my floor. I couldn't even get up to use a restroom. Uh, I felt like the what muscle I had left was just ripping away from my bone. My body was so severely dehydrated. Um, the tears I, I cried on the, on those bedroom floors. But when I got myself into rehab, I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been in a program before. I'd never been into a rehab facility. I knew that I was checking myself into a six month program. I was scared. I was in there with a lot of people that I'm not used to being around, you know, people straight out of long prison terms, people straight off being off the streets, being homeless. Like I was homeless for a couple months, but it was very intimidating, but I surrendered. I told myself, for the first time in my life, if I'm going to give this six months of my life, which my program was six months, if God gave this to me, he blessed me with this because I couldn't afford it. So this was government funded. I'm going to shut the fuck up. I'm going to do what I'm told. And I'm going to give this my all. I drank the water. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I knew that my counselors, they knew how to get me to where I wanted to go. I knew the people that um, organized and set up the the criteria and the, and the plan of how a program works, that they were very intelligent people, that they set that up on purpose. They didn't just throw darts at a board and say, okay, we're going to have them do this. Okay, now we're going to have them do that. It was all mapped out by intelligent people that had what I wanted, which is uh, sobriety and a good life. So I shut up. I did what I was told. Every day was a new experience. It was a lot of repetition. Sometimes I questioned things. I questioned why this rule was in place, why that rule was in place. I shut up, though. I really surrendered. I was humble for the first time in my life, and I surrendered to a power greater than myself. I surrendered to a system that told me that they were going to get me to a certain place that I wanted to be. So I really, really took a humble pie, a big piece of that humble pie. And I did what I was told, man. It was, it was amazing. It was, it was terrifying, but it's a very spiritual and emotional thing. Lots of people say they want to get sober. Lots of people, I can't tell you how many times, Jesse, I'm sure you can attest. I cannot tell you how many times I woke up in an alley, in a gutter, even before I was homeless, I woke up at home, hung over, and I said, God, please give me help. God, please give me help. Hundreds of thousands of times I woke up and I just prayed, please take this addiction for me. Give me this tool that I need. Get me in rehab. Get me help. And that time, you want to talk about being ready to receive what you asked for. The government funded me a rehab program. And so I made sure I was going to be ready to receive it. I shut up. I did what I was told. I was scared to death. But I surrendered to a power greater than myself. And um, I'm here talking to you today. Surrendering to the power greater than ourselves. It's like when I when I first heard that, I was like, okay, I get it. Big book, AA. I gotta you know start following the the Jesus doctrine. And when I got into it, I quickly realized that that's not what that means. That just means that you just you just like surrendering to a power greater than yourself. It could just be listening to those counselors, right? They 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 know things. They've built a program that has helped people. And if you're willing to work it. 
And I know that's an AA slogan too. It works if you work it. It's the work ethic, right? You, you, can't, you don't turn work ethic off and on like a light, guys. You literally have work ethic or you don't. And you can build it. This isn't, a, this isn't, we're not following limiting beliefs here. You can think, well, I've never had that great of a work ethic before. All you have to do is decide that you have one as of right now. And whenever you say you're going to commit to something, you see it through all the way to the end. And the beauty of sobriety recovery is there is no technical end, right? This is a journey that goes all the way until the very last breath that we take. So you get to show yourself you have that work ethic every single day when you don't succumb to the cravings, when you don't listen to other people and how they think you should do your program and you follow what you know is working for you. And if it's not working, you go and look for other resources like Jim talked about because they're available. I just love this topic. I'm, I already circled it. Are you ready for what you're asking for? Because my brain's already running with so much of that. Um, Jim, we're, gonna, we're almost done here. Let's say you had the ability to talk to every single addict out there and you wanted to be able to give them one message. What would that message be? So I, I could talk for freaking hours on that one, man. Man, it's so easy to say things. It is so more difficult to actually incorporate them and do them. But, you know, you got to find your why. You know, what's your why? I think that's something that people talk about in life in general. But, man, like whether it's your, your sick mom or whether it's your, your child or whether you just, man, just what's that why? And you got to really get it to, to just drive you to take yourself to a place you want to be, man. You got to, you got to find that is, and that's a, that's a powerful question. And it's a loaded question. There's so many things I'd love to sit down and talk to addicts about. And at the end of the day, man, they have to do it. And it sucks because as much as we want it for somebody, you know, they have to want it for themselves. But once they figure out that why, and then they've, uh, they're really ready to, to stop pretending like you stop saying the right things and not doing it, man. We're manipulators as addicts, Jesse, you know, that we, we know how to say all the right things and, and manipulate our people into getting whatever we want. But when you can really be true to yourself, man, you can really figure out what that why is. And amazing things can happen. I, I love that that's what you ended up coming up with. One, yeah, I just totally surprised you with that question. And I'd like to do that. Um, so it was great. Because I mean, that's it, guys. What is your why? Because that why, if it's powerful enough, if it's strong enough, it gets you out of bed every day. You hit your, your feet hit the ground and you're ready to go. Right, whether it's in your sobriety recovery, whether it's in your job or your career or your physical fitness, your emotional growth, going to your therapist, your spiritual growth, whether it's God or whether you're following a different mantra, it does not matter. When you know your why and you are strong within that, it is the fuel that keeps you going when you think that there is nothing left in the tank. I, I could not agree with you more on that one, Jim. That is what a just fantastic message to finish up the show with. I have just been honored to have you. I think we we need to figure out a way down the road whenever social distancing is over to meet in person and shoot one of these things. And I think we could. I think we'd be awesome sharing a stage at a, some addiction recovery centers here in LA and bringing um you know very similar yet our own experiences to people. Uh, I really think we have a powerful message, and I'm just so honored that you took the time out from your day to come on my show, dude. I really am. Man, it was a blessing. I have to admit, I've been looking forward to it. And I would, I would love to uh, sit next to you on an H and I panel, uh, heading to meeting. Man, Dream Center uh, was one of the biggest uh, uh, recovery places in the whole world, and it's right here in Los Angeles, uh, Phoenix House. There's so many of them, man. We just, we have a message, and our message needs to be heard, and people need to hear it. And they will. And they will. In fact, we're going to talk more, not on the microphone, about those places you just mentioned that I didn't even know existed. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll start putting my 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 mind and my effort to to getting in front of those people with you. And we'll we'll start just you know again, it's all about service to the community. 
you know, if one person hears something I say and it helps them perspective shift, release a limiting belief, um, then I, then, you know, that's it. I've changed the world. If I just change one person's life and I've changed the world because they will go off and do amazing things. And, and brother, you're doing the same stuff. And, you know, Val, Val, uh, I want to keep wanting to say it's Valor, but it's Valor Fitness Clothing. Um, you know, even promoting physical fitness within the sobriety and recovery community is, is a powerful, powerful thing to be doing. So you're just, you're doing wonderment over there, brother. And uh, I can't wait to be able to shake your hand when we're allowed to start touching people again and uh, be able to sit down with the microphone and, and, and get you back on and just talk more amazing, uplifting stuff. I appreciate you, Jesse. And I just want to say hi to my Valor Fitness Clothing family out there. I hope you guys are listening. I hope you listen. And I hope you enjoyed this and learned a little bit more about me. So, Jesse, I appreciate you, sir. I appreciate you too, my friends. So that's it, guys. Another episode of From Sobriety to Recovery has come to an end. I've gotten a lot of feedback from y'all out there that you're enjoying these interviews that I'm doing. If you know anybody that you would love to hear on the show that you found via social media or whatever else, uh, you know, go DM me there, drop it in a comment. Somehow let me know who that person is. If you are one of those people who would love to be on the show because you have a powerful message and you want that to get out to the rest of the world, then by all means, talk to me, hit me up, let me know. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Until we meet again, y'all, have a great day out there. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. 